right, well, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. I cannot tell you how happy I am to be with you again in this series through the Gospel of Luke titled Rock Solid Truth. Rock Solid Truth. Today we pick back up at the start of chapter 2. And believe it or not, we are going to finish chapter 2 this morning. All of it, we're going to take a broad look at this whole thing. Now, many of you know that Luke 2 is one of the most famous of all scriptures as it recounts the Savior's birth. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. It's the foundational script for our living nativity that we put on at Christmas time, and Lord willing, we will do again this year. Many of you have read this text as a matter of worshipful tradition, Christmas after Christmas after Christmas in your homes. I like how Warren Wearsby frames this well-known passage. He says, the story is old, but is ever new, and God's people never tire of it. I will admit that studying Luke 2 these past weeks without all the commercialization and all the typical holiday fanfare has been very refreshing. And I believe it will be for you as well. It's as though we get to see this chapter in its pure, undistracted form. No focus and worry over which gifts still have to be bought and wrapped. No hustle and bustle over all the Christmas parties and the music rehearsals and all the holiday travels. No, we get to focus, just focus on the humble and yet most extraordinary birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. As you can imagine, Luke chapter 2 is so rich with meaning, there are many approaches we could take to, this, to studying this text. Now, of course, always, we need to stay true to the grand intent of the passage. But like Mount Rainier, you can view that grand, singular, natural monument from multiple angles. How many of you have hiked around Rainier? number of folks, I've been around there a number of times myself, and you know that there are many fantastic trails you can take, all of which will cause you to behold the grandeur of that mountain. So today, I'd like us to look at Luke 2 from the perspective of treasuring Jesus. When the shepherds came and they found Mary and Joseph and the Christ child, they shared how the angels had come to them and announced the Savior's birth that night as they watched over their flocks. And verse 19 here says, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. If you drop down to verse 51, this is where Jesus is now 12 years old. The text says again, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Now, it's important to understand that the the Greek definition for the word treasure here, which is actually two different words for these two verses, but it, it refers not to just really loving something, but actually to looking at it very carefully, to watch over and guard it, to hold on to it very tightly, to hold it close to your being. Mary treasured. All that she was beholding in Jesus, this babe in her arms. I have one 
primary question for you this morning. Do you treasure Jesus? There's an old hymn that leads off with this statement. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Many of you have so experienced the wonder and the goodness of God that you would say the same. Now the song continues. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me. It's, it's, he's the one that I adore. Friends, those are the words that come from a heart that treasures Jesus, cherishes and reveres him, clings to him, and does not hesitate to use the word precious when speaking of him and pondering how valuable he is. Do you treasure Jesus? Do I treasure Jesus? And do we treasure him more and more as the days go by? For those who listen to the scriptures in faith from their heart, they find many convincing reasons to treasure Jesus, to believe in him, to joyfully surrender to him, not only as their savior, but as their king, their lord, their master. You understand the difference here? You should know that if Luke 2 did not exist, major portions of our faith would begin to fall apart, if not implode. You see, the divine conception and virgin birth of the Son of God is either one of the world's most tremendous lies or grandest miracles. If you have a bulletin, you'll see that I've given you five questions for your consideration and for your small group discussions this week. Luke 2 gives us reason after reason after reason why a person should treasure and believe in the person of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And all of this helps form the foundation for why a person should believe the Bible is true. It's directly linked to Jesus' undeniable affirmation of the absolute authority and inerrancy of the scripture because it is the word of God himself. And those who believe this, those who see this and embrace this, treasure Jesus and who he is to them. It begins to show in every area of their life. They begin to increasingly treasure Jesus more than everything and even everyone in this world. Now, if that's not you, I invite you to consider Luke 2 with me today and to see if this chapter in God's Word is not most trustworthy. Now, if you already treasure Jesus, and I know many of you do, then worship the Lord afresh as I read of the Savior's birth and early years of his life. Now, to help us grasp this text I'm about to read, I've divided the chapter into its five scenes. So follow along as I read. Luke 2, verse 1. Here we have scene 1, the prophetic birth. The Word of God says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. 
This was, the this was the first census taken while Kyradius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Allow me to briefly comment before we go to scene two. <clears throat> Wearsby notes that Rome took a census every 14 years for both military and tax purposes. And each Jewish male had to return to the city of his father's to record his name, occupation, property, and family. So that's the setting. And by the way, this was no small trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem. This is about an 80-mile journey, of course, often by foot or animal. And I'd give you an idea of distance. That's the, that's the distance from here to Snoqualmie Pass. Now think about this for a minute with me. If you are traveling at, at three miles per hour by foot, it would take you roughly 27 hours to get to the pass if you did not stop. Now, of course, you'd have to stop for rest. You'd have to stop for meals, for breaks. This is easily a three-day journey at almost 10 hours per day. But the meaning of these verses goes much deeper. Now, if you know your Old Testament, then you know that the historical records given in these verses are spectacular fulfillments of prophecy hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior. Who, is, who isn't interested in prophecy? The prophecies in regards to the Savior not only being a Jew, but coming from the tribe of Judah, the house of David, the city of Bethlehem, and even the prophecy that he would be of virgin birth. We study this in chapter 1, verses 34 and 35, where the angel gave the news to Mary. You recall call this. The angel gave the news to Mary that she would be pre become pregnant even though she had not yet known a man. Verse 34 says, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. No earthly father. The infant was conceived miraculously by the power of the Most High. He was the Son of God come down to humanity. Can you imagine <clears throat> someone accurately predicting your birth hundreds and hundreds of years prior, down to the city you would be born in, the heritage you'd have, and the fact that you would come from no earthly father? This would require multiple spectacular miracles. Obviously, and particularly, the divine conception. All of this should cause us to at least begin to revere and treasure this infant, whoever he is. 
this infant by the name of Jesus. Scene number two, starting in verse eight. Here we have the angelic birth announcement. Verse eight. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I have seen birth announcements and gender reveals, and baby showers, but I ain't seen nothing like that. An angel from heaven in the night sky with the glory of God shining everywhere. The announcement that the Savior, Christ the Lord, has been born, followed by a multitude of heavenly uh, beings filling the night sky and, and worshiping God. And this Christ child in thunderous praise. There are a lot of instant video replays I look forward to when I get to heaven. This is definitely one of them. Surround sound. High fidelity. Lord, turn up the volume. I want to hear it just like the shepherds. When an angel from heaven and a multitude of heavenly beings travel all the way from heaven to earth, from the throne of God to earth to make that announcement here, shouldn't it drive you and me to treasure the baby Jesus and whoever he is to become? The birth announcement alone magnifies the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ, the holy child, the son of God, our savior, our king. Oh, how we worship and treasure him. Scene number three, the manger, verse 16. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. I want to see a replay of this manger scene conversation as well. The wonder, the amazement in the faces of those shepherds as they followed the star to Bethlehem, sure enough to the very place where the newborn babe lay, to realize at that moment the angels were right. It wasn't just a vision. 
We weren't making it up. We have not lost our minds. Imagine the conversation at the manger scene as the shepherds relayed to Mary and Joseph what they had seen with their own eyes and heard with their own ears. Imagine the joy and the awe that must have roused in the hearts of Mary and Joseph as they realize, surely this our child is the Son of God. I can't help but wonder if perhaps Mary and Joseph didn't share in return the story of the miraculous encounter that Mary had with the angel Gabriel. Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, Luke 1.19. This must have been a conversation of most incomprehensible wonder. Talk about having to, to pinch yourself over and over to make sure it's really, really for sure. Oh, how Mary and Joseph and the shepherds must have treasured that moment in the presence of the Christ child. Scene number four, the temple. Verse 21. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed... FYI, that is 40 days after the mother had given birth, per the Levitical law. It says they brought him, that is Jesus, up to Jerusalem. This is about a six-mile journey. To present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Let's pause for a second. We're not going to take time on this today, but you can research two things here. One, why a sacrifice of turtle doves and pigeons? There's incredible meaning to that. Secondly, research the sacrificial redemption from God of your firstborn son. Absolutely fascinating. The sacrificial redemption from God of your firstborn son. Verse 25 continues. <clears throat> and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, that is the coming of the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. My church family, pray that those will be four identifying marks of you and every other person in your church family. What a noble aspiration to live for here. Verse 26, it says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he, that is Simeon, took him, the baby, into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. Just another nugget here. You've got time. If you're interested, go research the word depart. It sheds incredible light into what Simeon was saying here. You are releasing your bondservant to depart 
in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, there's all the non-Jews, and the glory of your people, Israel. What a profound statement to come from Simeon, that this Messiah, this Christ, Emmanuel is not just for the Jews, but for all people. Verse 33 continues, And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. Simeon is speaking prophetically and spiritually here. A a sword would pierce the soul of Mary in the days to come. He said, to the end, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. Let me just pause there for a second. Do you see the power and the insights, the guidance for life given in some of these single sentences in the, church, in, in the text here? We're going to talk about Anna in just a second. Let me continue reading first. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. Mary, Joseph, Jesus. They returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. There is so much in these verses. But for today, just for now, let me highlight the prophetic and the miraculous encounter with Simeon and Anna. Two more eyewitnesses and affirmations that this baby Jesus was indeed the Son of God, the salvation of both Jew and Gentile. Now, how do we know that Simeon treasured the Christ child? Because in more or less words he said, I have seen the Savior with my own eyes. Now I can die in peace. Friends, do you realize the profound power of what this text alone, just this verse alone, teaches us about how not to fear death? Those who see their Savior in faith can face death in peace. Because it is not death to die when you know your Savior. And when your Savior knows you. 
What about Anna? 84 years old. A woman who had experienced the immeasurable loss of her husband, presumably at an, at an early age. And how did she respond to such sorrowful and premature loss? She devoted herself to worshiping and serving the Lord her God. We could camp out right there on that thought all morning. Regardless of what the situation is, regardless of what the loss might be, how do you and I respond to it? There is one noble, grace-infused, peace-giving response. In our moment of sorrow and deep loss, by the grace of God, we can and we must devote ourselves to worshiping and serving him all the rest of our days. You see, there's a theme here between Simeon and Anna, Mary and Elizabeth in chapter 1, and that, that is that God tends to do very special things for those and through those who are walking very, very closely with him. Righteously and blamelessly, chapter 1 says. Devout. And here both Simeon and Anna got to see the baby Jesus. And what was Anna's response? She could not stop telling others about him. How do you know a person has truly seen their Redeemer? That's how. She couldn't stop telling others. I love this church family enough, and I recognize that I personally will someday stand before God and give account for your souls. I love you enough, and I fear in a healthy, wonderful fear, God enough to tell you that if you are afraid to speak of Jesus Christ, then fear for your salvation. It's not to say that you might lose your salvation. It's to say you might not have it. Because when people come face to face with Jesus Christ, and they recognize the wonder and the grandeur of not only who he is, but what he has done for them. They are compelled to tell others. Of course, there are times where we're hesitant, we're fearful to share our faith, but I believe the solution to this, one of, one of the greatest keys, one of the greatest solutions to this is actually very simple. Spend more time genuinely in the presence of your Savior. You do that through His Word, through prayer and communion with Him, through the gathering together like we're doing right now of worship to Him and opening the Word of God together. These two eyewitnesses treasured Jesus. 
Scene number five, our last scene, the lost child. Verse 41 says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan. Let me just interject. Wearsby notes that often relatives and sometimes even entire villages would make this trek to Jerusalem together. This easily could have been hundred, a hundred, or even hundreds of people in this caravan because this time of Passover is one of the most significant feasts in Israel. And you've got the masses coming together on Jerusalem here. It says Jesus stayed behind, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan. And they went a day's journey. He left Jerusalem, traveled for a full day, Mary and Joseph, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him, a full day back in the opposite direction. Let's pause there. Kids, if you have ever been left at church, you are not alone. Jesus understands. Parents, if you have ever accidentally left your kids here after services, we know who you are. But find some measure of comfort in knowing that at least you didn't leave the Son of God behind. And travel 10 hours from here before realizing it. Can you imagine the stress? I could just picture Mary. Joseph, we lost Jesus. Oh, the stress. Verse 46, it says, Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them. Observe the humility of Jesus, the Son of God both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, speaking of Mary and Joseph, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house. It says, but they did not understand the statement which he made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, back home, and he continued in subjection to them. Pause there and recognize again the humility of Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, honoring the fifth commandment of God, to honor his mother and father, who were not sinless. Behold the humility of Jesus. It says, he continued in subject subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor, favor with God and men. In this scene here, how stunning that the religious leaders, and we have to assume this is some of the highest religious leaders in Israel since we are in Jerusalem at the time of Passover. It says they were amazed at the questions 
answers and understanding of this 12-year-old boy. But I suspect they were not as astonished as his parents. I suspect every one of us can relate to Mary. What parent hasn't asked, why did you do this to us? Do you know how worried we were for you? But ponder Jesus' reply to his parents. Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Verse 50, but they did not understand the statement which he made to them. You and I have the privilege of reading the rest of the book and knowing the rest of the story. So we understand what Jesus meant by my father's house, referring to the temple of God and God being his true father. Again, put yourself in a situation. Where was Jesus? He's in the temple, sitting in front of some of the highest religious leaders of Israel. I suspect that Mary and Joseph, just, just assuming here, that when they walked into the temple and they found Jesus, they didn't just say, um, Jesus, if we could, if we could interrupt, could we, could we have a conversation outside with you for a moment? What parent would have that kind of restraint? No, as soon as they see him. Jesus, we found you. Why have you done this to us? And what about his answer? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? How do you think that landed on the ears of the priests and the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin? Perhaps this is the first time Jesus pricked the minds of humanity, particularly the religious leaders, with claiming to be the son of God. There are two points of interest here I want to draw our attention to. First, Jesus at this point knew he was divine. Perhaps sooner, but at least by this point, he began to recognize who he was. He outright claimed in that moment that God was his true father. And he was God's son. Friends, do you recognize who Jesus is? Those who in their heart acknowledge and worship him as the son of God, treasure him. Why? Not only because he is the son of God, but because as we learn at this point in the text, he was the son of God on mission. On mission. When I get to heaven, I have a humble question for Jesus. Lord Jesus, why did you say, I have to be in my father's house? Very little is known to that, but the verses prior give us some hints. The rest of his life begins to reveal it. But age 12, why did he have to be in his father's house? Again, the verses probably give us some hints. He was teaching the people through his questions, his answers, and his understanding. He was giving them truth. Jesus was already on mission. Mission to make God known and to point others to the Father, just like he stated in John 17. He was on a mission to seek and to save those who are lost, Luke 19.10. 
But also observe verse 51 in our chapter today. It says, he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. It is no small point that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, found it necessary and right to honor his parents by submitting to them. We're not going to develop that thought today because that's not the, the focus of our chapter study today. But let it suffice to say, if it is right for the sinless Son of God to honor and obey his parents who were sinners, how much more so for all of us to follow the Christ child's example. Secondly, verse 52 says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. I'm telling you, it's so easy to just read through these, these verse, some of these lines, these verses. Okay, got it. Chapter 3. When we pause and meditate like Scripture says we should, and we treasure every word, every phrase, every sentence, we begin to find the wisdom of God in them. It says that he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Verses like this help us to begin to understand the doctrine of the humanity of Christ. Even as the Son of God, in his human nature, he still had to grow physically, bodily, as well as keep learning for himself the wisdom of God. And he did learn it. And it says that God looked down upon him at this point, as a 12-year-old boy, God looked down upon him with favor, with such loving pleasure and satisfaction, the father treasured his son. What a beautiful father-son relationship. But the, the text doesn't stop there. It says he kept increasing in favor with people as well. But one only need read a few pages further in this book to see that not everyone favored Jesus. Some hated him. They rejected his message. They rejected his deity. They rejected his love. But some favored him. And Mary treasured him. How about you? May I humbly ask, where do you stand with the person, the message, and the deity of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? If you don't yet treasure him as your Savior and your Lord, your friend and your King, I invite you to do so today. I don't know how many compelling reasons you need to make that leap of faith and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but I humbly and confidently offer you Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story and the childhood of the Son of God. So many compelling reasons to believe if you'd like to know more about how to become a follower of Christ, how to be fully forgiven once and for all of all your sins, 
and receive God's free gift of eternal life that he promises to those who repent and believe. If you would like to know more, please don't reach, hesitate to reach out to me or just about anybody in this church family. We will open the word of God with you so you can see with your own eyes what God says you can and must do to repent and believe so that you can treasure Jesus in your own heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what words are there to adequately express our awe at you. The wonder of you. The miraculous, time and time again, nature of your own son from his conception to his birth, his announcement, his growth as a child. So many reasons to say, yes, this is the God I worship. Yes, this is the God I believe in. The God I follow. The God who I submit to, surrender to, and allow to tell me what is right and wrong, what is true and false, and how I should live this short life that has been entrusted to me. Oh, Lord, if there is even one person here who is not absolutely confident that they have that beautiful relationship with the Savior, oh, will you give them grace, mercy, understanding, and the courage they need to say, I believe. Lord, for those of us who do believe, Would you strengthen our faith? Help us to grow in our awe and our worship and our treasure of you day by day by day. Lord, help there not to be one person in this church family who says my treasuring of Jesus today is the same as it was yesterday and the year before. No, Lord, help us to grow in our reverence our cherishing, our honoring, our clinging to you. You are so worthy, so good. This is why we worship and follow you. Thank you for your daily grace that keeps pulling us back when we fall off the trail. Your grace that keeps loving and strengthening, giving us hope, giving us truth, Lord, help us to recognize that as your son was on a mission, so are we. To not only receive the truth, the wonder, the treasuring of God and his son, but to pass these things on to others. By your grace, we will do this. And all God's people said, amen.